Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We are continuing our sermon series this morning uh, entitled Raise Your Voice. Raise Your Voice. And we started uh, with the connection that Jesus makes between what is going on in our hearts and what is coming out of our mouths. If you remember that, it was kind of the, uh, one of the starting verses that we looked at, one of the starting uh, stories that Jesus told about the fruit in our life being something that when it's on display gives a pretty good indicator of what's going on in us as a result of what's being able to be produced in that. And Jesus made this statement. He said, out of the overflow of your heart or out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. So there is a connection between what is truly going on inside of you, what is truly going on inside of me, what we really believe, what we really hold to, what we really value, or maybe what is uh, really taking place, and uh, it's connected to the things that are coming out of our mouths. And so that could be something that is very encouraging when we're worshiping, when we're in prayer, when we're saying praise the Lord. And it might be a little bit discouraging when we're dealing with that coworker or we're yelling at our dog or something along those lines as well. What comes out is an indicator of what's going on on the inside. And so we've talked about the, that connection and uh, the way that we can begin to intentionally uh, speak in a way, raise our voice in a way that draws out uh, our relationship with the Lord, our devotion to Jesus, and uh, uh, an affirmation of the work that he's doing in us. And so in the first week, we talked about raising our voice in worship and making that connection and what that can look like. Last week, we talked about uh, raising our voice with a shout uh, in the different ways that Scripture talks about that application as well. And this morning, we're going to talk about gratitude we're going to talk about gratitude in the sense of actually being able to speak that out, express that out in our lives, and what true gratitude looks like. Uh, and if you've been with our church family for over a year, you would know that last fall was particularly challenging and difficult for me, and maybe even for our church family as an extension of that for a little bit. On November 16th, which was just a few days ago, the one-year anniversary of it, I had a full, complete rupture and tear of my Achilles tendon in my left leg. And so those of you who were here during that time saw Pastor Ben hobble in on crutches. I got to upgrade to my little cool knee scooter for a while with the little bells on it, ching, 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 ching. You guys remember that? Like, it was a rough, it was a rough fall. Something that uh, had required surgery, required physical therapy, something that I'm still recovering from almost a year later, although many people wouldn't actually be able to see or recognize that that was still the case. And so last fall, it was particularly difficult. Uh, but coming into the spring, right, the spring and early parts of summer, our weather changed drastically, and we had a lot of rain. We were celebrating that. We had been dry for so long. And I don't know if anybody in northeast Colorado would ever say that there's such thing as too much rain. I think that we would take all that we could get as much as we could at every opportunity. But this spring was pushing it a little bit. Right, This summer, uh, first part of the summer, it was pushing it a little bit. And those of you who are kind of in the ag industry, you were like, no, give me more, give me more. 
Those of you who have a push lawnmower, we're like, can we cut off the spigot? Anybody with me there? This spring, oh my gosh, I was push mowing my yard every five days. It wasn't even like a once a week rhythm. It was once every five days, which meant three times out of like 10 days, that was something that was happening. And I remember going out and getting my push mower one day, moving it out to the front yard, and I was just complaining the whole time. The whole time. I was complaining that the grass grew so quickly, that my kids weren't big enough to provide any actual real help at this yet, right? Like I'm caught in that in-between stage where they're just helpful enough to not be helpful, and so it's not helpful. And so I'm out there, and it's just, it's up to Ben, and he's going to have to do this. And I remember just kind of complaining and shuffling along and kind of making a meal out of that. And the Lord reminded me something. He said, but you can walk. And I was like, what? He's like, I'm like, I gotta push mow this whole yard. He's like, but you can push it. And it, it, it was something that changed my perspective a little bit. It, was some, it came with a little bit of a correction. You know when the Lord does that to you at times. Came with a little bit of correction, but it redirected my focus off of this kind of this menial and tedious task that seemed to just be never ending to this moment of gratitude and being able to celebrate that I could even do it to begin with because it was only a short time past that that wouldn't have even been an option, that something as simple as mowing the lawn would have been out of reach for me. And so it was something that began to shift my attention. And I remember moving from this idea of kind of complaining as I went out into the yard to beginning to be reminded of all the ways that God had shown his goodness to me, not just in the fact that I could do this menial task again, but it began to be this cascading remembrance of God's done this. And oh man, do you remember when he showed up in this way? And the thing that you're still waiting for, man, are you contending for that with great faith, believing that it's going to happen? It shifted my attention and it shifted my attitude and it became something where I'm out, and I don't know if this would have been a, a, a humorous thing to see, but I was out there like, like praising my way through mowing the lawn. Had my earbuds in and my Inspire mix on. That's my Jesus Jams mix. And so I was going for it and mowing uh, the lawn. And uh, I, I share that with you because it, it, it took a little bit of a disruption in the normal way that I would be thinking about my circumstance. Uh, and it took an interaction with the Lord to bring about this shift in my attitude. And what I have found, and you may find this to be true for you as well, is that we can, we can struggle to have uh, gratitude as our response. Uh, we can struggle to actually be people who offer thanksgiving in a sense that it's true worship directed towards the Lord and something that truly comes from something that is already reposited in us by a work of the Spirit. It is often easier for me, it is often easier for you and I to recall to remembrance our disappointments, uh, our inconvenience, uh, maybe to fall into a trap of uh, comparison where we look at others and see that we have less or don't have the same as or have different from and be dissatisfied. It can be very uh, uh, befitting for us at times to as much as we would shy away from the, the, the statement or the word, but to act out an entitlement when it comes to what we think that we deserve from God or what we've earned for ourselves. And that can be easier oftentimes than for us to actually be people who are truly thankful and offering thanksgiving to the Lord and living out a gratitude for who he is and how he works 
in our lives. And the interesting thing, and we're going to see this today as uh, we turn our attention to Luke chapter 17, true gratitude, okay, true gratitude moves from your thoughts to your actions. Somebody who truly walks out gratitude or offers thanksgiving, it moves from just kind of these thoughts that we agree with to being put into practice and put into action in our lives. In fact, many spiritual things, many uh, responses of faith would find themselves to be just like that. It moves from what I think or what I believe or what I agree with to now I'm going to live my life in a way aligned with that. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I would encourage you to open up your Bible app. Lord, we ask that you would give us soft hearts for your word today. Lord, that our hearts would be open, not just our minds. Lord, that we wouldn't just agree with your word, that we wouldn't just uh, kind of give it an affirming thought, but Lord, that it would be something that we take into our being, that it would be planted in good soil in our heart, Lord, that it would produce uh, growth and transformation, and that there would be a harvest of righteousness in our life. Lord, give us a willingness to hear and see your word and a courageous faith to respond to it in a practical daily living as we are led by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. With your Bibles out, you can go ahead and go to Luke chapter 17, and we're going to be looking at a specific story that is recorded here in the gospel of Luke. And many of the gospel writers focus in on different stories and different parts of Jesus's uh, ministry. And oftentimes, you'll find something uh, miraculous taking place, right? So many, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, many of the stories, many of the narratives pivot on real uh, in, important spiritual truths that are being taught, and then kind of a miraculous demonstration of the power of God. In fact, the book of John focuses so heavily on that, that you walk through it, and his focus is almost primarily signs and wonders. And at the end of his gospel, he would even say, all of these signs were recorded so that you might believe. And so he's trying to build up our faith through an account of all of these stories. And in Luke chapter 17, we're going to read one of the, the narratives that comes out of Jesus's ministry. Then there is going to be something miraculously demonstrated. There is going to be a move of the power of God that is demonstrated in somebody's life in a very tangible and practical way. But the focus of the narrative actually isn't on the miracle which I find fascinating because for most of us, if we uh, were pursuing a miracle, if we were asking God to do that, if we had experienced that or saw that or were listening to a testimony, those are the things that oftentimes absorb our attention. But the focus of the narrative is less on the miracle and more on the response of the individual. It's less on the miracle and more on the response of the individual. And so we're going to read this together. Luke chapter 17, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 19. Reading out of the NIV, it reads this way. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on me. Jesus, master, have pity on us. And so what's being painted here is this, uh, the, the opening of this narrative begins with Jesus on a journey. He's entering into a village, and there's this group of men, 10 in this account, who all are suffering under a disease, a skin disease that's designated as leprosy here. 
And they cry out in a, lo- a loud voice and they grab Jesus' attention. And this would be kind of a, a normal type of scenario that was being described here. Because if you were suffering under this type of disease, you were put into a community kind of living environment that was outside of everybody else. I don't know how familiar you are with kind of the cultural nuance of what is going on here. But if you were somebody who was seen with this disease or understood to have it, then you were placed kind of in quarantine. You had to live in your own kind of commune together. And wherever you went, wherever you went, you had to announce that you had the disease and everybody was supposed to stay away from you. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would uh, feel like or be like to live like that. If you go back in time with me a few years, right, and we go to the beginning of COVID and kind of the disruption that that was bringing, what if you found out that you had COVID, right, because you couldn't smell anything, couldn't taste anything, and wherever you went, picture this, wherever you, you walked into Walmart, and as you came into the door, you had to announce in a loud voice, I got Sterona, and then everybody, what, would probably run and scatter. Everybody would start spraying you with Windex and see if that was going to help. I mean, we didn't know what to do at that time, but you had to make that announcement everywhere that you went. That's how the lepers were. And so for them to be in a group, that's not, that's not unusual. In fact, you would be in kind of that tight group because you couldn't be with anybody else. And for them to cry out in a loud voice to get Jesus' attention, they would have had to, before they cried out for help, had to cry out, hey, we have leprosy, stay away from us. Everybody know, knew who they were, where they were, and what was going on. And so they cried out in this loud voice, but they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, verse 14, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. This is the miracle that took place here. And this is wild, right? There's a lot of places where Jesus demonstrates the power of God. There's a lot of places in both uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all of those gospels where Jesus does something miraculous. And in this case, he doesn't touch them. He doesn't actually even pray for them. He doesn't do any of the weird stuff that sometimes where he would kind of make mud and put it on somebody. He literally tells them, hey, why don't you go away in a sense? right? Go show yourself to the priest. Now, they would have had to get a clean bill of sale from the priest. They would have had to show themselves, and the priest would have had to say, you are clean, and you can rejoin society. And so that would have been a normative part of the process as well. But the miracle doesn't happen in Jesus's presence. He sends them. He says, go show yourself to the priests. And as they go, as they take that step of obedience, and as they begin to walk that faith out, the word says that they were cleansed that they were purified, that they were clean, that they were made whole, that they uh, received healing in their physical bodies is what is being indicated here. And so it was on their journey, it was on their journey in response of obedience and a response of faith that they end up being healed. Verse 15, one of them, everybody say one. One. Got to do better than that. Everybody say one. One. All right, we'll let it go at that point, but like, you know, we're just going to do it till you get it right. One, one of them. How did we? St- how many did we start with? Ten. ten. All right. This is a smart class. Started with ten, but we're now we're down to one. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus's feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, "Were not all ten cleansed?" Where are the other nine? He's, he's asking rhetorical questions. All ten were cleansed. One returned. 
Has no one returned to praise God except this foreigner? And there's some cultural nuance here that you can pull out for different application. But what's important is that the one returned. Verse 19, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. What's interesting about this narrative is as much as we would be prone to, to highlight the physical healing, as much as we would be prone to, to, to want to see that, to want to experience that, to invite that in our lives and our circumstances and the lives of others, and you should do that. God does that, and he does that frequently. It's, it's an appropriate thing to do. As much as that would be the focus of our attention in the narrative, the way that it is played out is that's actually the smallest part that is focused on in the way that Luke records it. It's almost as if, hey, there's this miraculous thing over here, some razzle-dazzle that happened here, but let's really focus on the response of those who experienced it. And what is highlighted and what is put on display is that of the 10 who received the miracle, experienced that, and were absolutely healed, one responded with gratitude. One responded in thanksgiving. And it would be a silly thing for you and I to think or to suggest that the others weren't grateful, that the others you know, weren't thankful that their situation has changed. It would be likely that if you got all 10 together and you said, hey, are you stoked that you just got healed? That they would all say, yes. Are you thankful that Jesus answered that prayer? They would all say, Yes, are you so appreciative for what God has done in your life? They would all say what? They would all say yes to that. But what is being highlighted is that the agreement in the mind of all 10 was now something that was taken into a greater expression of gratitude as one responded differently. And when it comes to raising your voice in gratitude, when it comes to raising your voice in thanksgiving in a way that weds that to a shout of victory, in a way that kind of marries that to the idea of worship from the two weeks prior, is that gratitude is intentional. If you're a note taker, we're going to have three of these types of statements, and this is the first one. Gratitude is intentional. You and I are not going to find ourselves accidentally thankful in the way that we live our lives. You're not going to stumble into being a person who expresses gratitude. It takes an intentional, purposed interruption in the way that you would normally just go on doing your life to act on what is going on inside of you in a way where you demonstrate gratitude. You have 10 who have a need. You have 10 that cry out in desperation. You have 10 that respond in obedience. You have 10 that take a step of faith. You have 10 that experience the supernatural. You have 10 that are physically healed. You have one that responds with true gratitude. The other nine would have been thankful. The other nine would have been celebratory. The other nine still got to receive, still got to experience. But there was something different about the way that the one responded that ends up being highlighted for your example, for my example. And it was the one who intentionally demonstrated his gratitude. He didn't finish his journey going to the priests. He didn't finish getting his paperwork that said he had a clean bill of health. 
He didn't kind of go on with his life. It was as he took his step of faith and as he responded in obedience that he realized that the power of God had done the miraculous in his life and he could not just go on his way as if that had not happened. Something had to be responded to. And so he makes his way back to Jesus. Gratitude is intentional. Gratitude is intentional. If you're going to express gratitude in your life, if you're going to be a, a person who offers thanksgiving to the Lord, you will not do that on accident. You will have to choose to recognize what God has done and respond in an appropriate way that ascribes Him that glory and that gratitude. The second thing is that gratitude is directional. Gratitude is, is directional. And what I mean by that is this, is that it focuses us in on the, 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 the person or the event for which to offer our gratitude. The man was intentional in his making his way back to Jesus, but there's two things that are highlighted in the text that are really important. That it was on his way back. He came back praising God in a loud voice. Look at verse 15. One of them, when he saw he was healed, when he recognized that he had been physically healed and cleansed, that he makes his way back, he intentionally decides he's going to respond in gratitude, and then directionally he begins to praise God on his way back. It doesn't mean, uh, the text doesn't suggest that he returned to Jesus and then began to demonstrate gratitude to the Father, that it was in the journey back that he was praising his way there, that he was praising God in a loud voice. Everybody was going to hear this, everybody was going to know what was going on, because he was making this something that was known. And then as he gets to Jesus, he now throws himself at Jesus's feet. And then when Jesus responds to his, uh, to his response to the healing, he also indicates that the man continued to give praise to God with a loud voice. Gratitude, listen, real gratitude, true gratitude is focused. It's something that's intentional that I choose to respond to, but then it's focused and directed towards the Lord and then towards others. It's focused and directed towards God and then towards others. Real gratitude that recognizes the way that God has moved and the way that he has performed and done on my behalf, it gets my head up and it focuses me on him. It directs itself to God and then begins to direct itself to the world out beyond that. And when I was mowing my lawn, and as the Lord gently corrected me and said, yeah, you're mowing the lawn, but you can actually do it, right? All of a sudden, I was not thinking about the task and just kind of the mundane aspect of it. I was being reminded of so many times in my life that I can celebrate God moving in a good and gracious way on my behalf. That it began to spur on a recollection of God, I remember when you did this and you kept me from that and you brought about this provision and you saved me from this. And can I tell you that oftentimes the way that the Lord has preserved and protected me has been from myself. Anybody relate to that? That in spite of my best efforts to ruin my life, that somehow God has made something beautiful out of it. That's many of our stories. It draws our attention to what God has done and how he's acting on our behalf. And this man was intentionally, intentionally going to offer thanksgiving, and he began first and foremost with directing that towards the Lord, and then making his way back to Jesus and offering that gratitude there as well. 
In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, there's a place where the people of God are all celebrating the presence of God in, uh, in, within the people. Uh, it has to do with the dedication of the ark and uh, something that was depictant and uh, um, connected to the presence of God in them. And there's a psalm in 1 Chronicles chapter 16 that is recorded there. And in it, there is a statement that is made that becomes a refrain of thanksgiving and joy that is repeated throughout the Old Testament scriptures. In 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 34, as you kind of make your way to the midpoint in the psalm, it makes this statement. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Some of you people who have grown up in church, like you've heard this. You've, you've heard this in worship songs. You've maybe heard this or read this in your own scripture study. Certainly would be something that you could hearken back to phrases that come out of, of hymns that maybe you've sang as you were younger. Uh, other renditions of it would be thanks, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endures forever. There's a number of iterations that come from it. And over and over and over, just in the book of Psalms, you bump into this phrase, reminding the people, reminding the people, reminding them to respond to God in gratitude. It, regardless of the circumstance they're in, the details or the pressures of life that they are uh, enduring, to be reminded that they should offer thanks to God for who he is because he is enduring. It moves beyond our circumstance, our details, our comparison, our disappointment, our disillusionment, our discomfort. It moves beyond all of those things. When I respond in gratitude and I direct that towards the Lord, all of a sudden I'm carried up above those types of circumstances. This man had gratitude and it was intentional. And this man, his gratitude was directional. His attention was on the Lord and it was offered in worship to him. And then the last thing that I want to highlight this morning that comes out of this text when it comes to raising your voice in gratitude is this, gratitude, and we don't often think of it in this way. Gratitude is spiritual. There's a spiritual component to this that in this text is so important, and the text closes on that type of a declaration. Jesus asked, were all 10 cleansed? Of course they were. Where's the other nine? I don't know. Maybe they're not as grateful or uh, they don't have this type of gratitude. Certainly I would say that they were thankful, but they didn't respond in this way. And then Jesus said to him, verse 19, this is so important. Then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And that doesn't seem as significant of a statement as it is to you and I. As you kind of read through this, you kind of bump into some phrasing that we would all just kind of make the same thing, right? So these guys were sick. They had a skin disease. As they went on their way, they were cleansed. Okay, so we bumped into that. And when they returned, Jesus asked, you know, weren't all 10 cleansed? Same words being used there. And the word that's being used there is to be understood is, is actually physically clean, uh, made, uh, made clean or made well, the idea even to be pure, because that was kind of the issue at hand. And so Jesus asked this, they all received that, they were all physically healed. And then when Jesus makes this statement to the man, because of his gratitude, because of the way that he responded personally and relationally to God for what he had done in his life, Jesus says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. 
And the word well there is a different word. It's not connected to this idea of cleanse. It's not this idea of being made pure, right? They all responded in faith because they walked in obedience to what Jesus had said, and they were all made physically well. All of that is true, but there's something significantly spiritual about this moment here because the word that Jesus uses where he says, rise and go, your faith has made you well. That word well in the Greek is a word called sozo. It's a word that indicates that you have been now made whole. In some places in the New Testament, it's translated as you are saved. There's something spiritually significant that's taking place here that beyond him being physically healed, beyond him just receiving and walking into the experience of a miracle, something transformational now is taking place in his life because he is responding not to the miracle, but to the miracle worker. He's responding not to what was done, but to the one who does the miraculous thing. There is a relational response to the physical experience that now is bringing transformation in him. And as Jesus says this, rise, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you saved. Because what he has done is now he has responded intentionally and directionally and relationally to the Lord in gratitude. That there is this reciprocity now of relationship in what is, is, is going on here. Where in the first exchange, everybody gets and they go on their way. And now this one returns to what? To give. That there's something significantly spiritual taking place here. All through the New Testament, the idea of offering thanksgiving to the Lord is coupled with prayer. It's coupled with worship. It's coupled with seeing ourselves restored relationally in reconciliation to God. For you and I to raise our voice in gratitude moves us beyond our circumstances, moves us beyond our need, even the supernatural things that we might experience, and draws us into a closer relational exchange with God in which we are not just made healed or made provided for or made comfortable, but where we are made whole. Because we move from the experience to the one who makes the difference in those things. Worship team, if you would come forward this morning, church family, I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to take a moment to respond in just a couple different ways. Be encouraged to take a few steps this week to respond to the Lord in gratitude. And as the worship team makes their way forward, I'm going to invite you, if you would be comfortable to close your eyes, that might be a good way to close out distractions. But I want you to think for a minute, um, an answer to this question. What do you have, what do you have to be grateful for? Now, this isn't a trick question. This isn't like a spiritually sneaky question. You don't have to find a profound, transformative moment in your life, although you might be reminded of one of those immediately. This could be as simple as, you know, you had a ride to church today. This could be as simple as your basic needs are met. This could be as simple as I'm holding on to a promise of something that I'm believing that God's going to do, even though I don't see it in my life yet. Or this can be a hearken back to something that he has already done and drawing to remembrance something to be deeply and profoundly grateful for. What, what do you have to be grateful for? Holy Spirit, in this moment, as you would draw our attention to those things, Lord, draw us to respond. Church family, it's one thing to think 
about what that is. It's another thing to respond with thanksgiving. It's one thing to have it drawn to your heart or mind's attention. It's another thing to speak out praise as a result of that. And so I would encourage you in this moment to just say thank you. To speak that to the Lord and to thank Him for that thing. For thank Him for that act. Thank Him for that promise. To offer your voice, to raise your voice in gratitude. Lord, I thank you that I walked up on the platform today. Lord, a year ago I needed help. A year ago I was hurt and I was frustrated. I was encumbered. Lord, a year ago I was in pain. I was immobile. And Lord, in that time, you've showed your goodness to me. You've showed your provision. You've showed your grace. In that time, you've brought me into opportunities for repair, restoration. Lord, I give you, I give you praise for that. God, I offer my thankful heart. I offer my gratitude for something as simple as being able to mow the lawn. Lord, we raise our voice in gratitude today to move beyond just our thoughts, to move beyond just a thoughtful recognition. Lord, we give voice, we give praise, we give worship, we respond. And Lord, even as I, I do that with something physical, Lord, I'm, I'm reminded of so many other ways that I could begin to offer gratitude. And that happens in our hearts, church family, as we begin to be people of gratitude, we begin to remember, we begin to uh, build a habit of responding in that way. And Lord, we ask that you would do that in us. Lord, that this wouldn't be just a, a trite practice at the end of a service, but that this would be the beginning of being a people of gratitude, a people who walk in thanksgiving. Lord, that recognize the way that you would move and work in our lives and the way that you have used others to do so as well. And that as much as we would be quick to offer our gratitude to you, Lord, we would offer gratitude and thanksgiving to one another as we would acknowledge the way that you have used others in our lives. Lord, let us be quick to worship. Let us be quick to offer a shout of praise. And Lord, let us be quick to raise our voice in gratitude. We do that in this moment and ask that you would seal that as a practice in us, or that we would do that this week. And we very simply, as we close today, we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, for all the many things represented in this room to be thankful for the many ways that we could express our gratitude. We say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for the mountains moved. Thank you, Jesus, for the provision. Thank you, Jesus, for the wholeness. Thank you, Jesus, for the healing. Thank you, Jesus, for the times where you increased our faith when we felt like we had none left to give. Thank you, Jesus, for the encouragement. Thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your death. Thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection. Thank you, Jesus, for the freedom found in you. We say thank you, Jesus. And Lord, as we are reminded of the many things that we could be grateful for, we have great hope rise in us for the things yet to come. We know that you are faithful, that you, are so, you, are, you will show yourself faithful. 
But we celebrate in faith. We offer our gratitude in faith. That as much as our gratitude is a response of faith, it's an act of faith as well, as we believe that you will continue to do. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you in your name. Got some action steps for you this week. Want to encourage you to snap a picture of these. You can catch these on Facebook or online later on. And I'm going to challenge you to practice seven days of gratitude. Just one week. Let's see if you can do it and begin uh, with this. Moving your thoughts of thanksgiving to actually coming out your mouth and being demonstrated in your actions. Do something to demonstrate that to the Lord. Begin each day with thanking Jesus for what he's done, what he's doing, and what you believe he's going to do. And then find a way to express your gratitude to another who has impacted your life in a way that encourages them and reminds you of how God has used them in your life. 